What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Uh, this is Yubi, and as always, I'm here with Mike and Nina. Hello, team. Hey, everyone. Hello, hello. Good to see you guys. Um, good to be back. We, we're very excited today. Uh, we have a, a guest. Her name is Shalvi Waklu. She is head of analytics at Komodo Health. Um, and and it's this is going to be a really great conversation because it, it, I think this is um, this is a conversation that will apply to a lot of people in this who are working in right the DEI and B space, um, whether it's a consultant or whether it's they they're just they care about it so much within their organization. Um, so first of all, welcome, Shelby. How are you? Hi, thanks so much. Uh, I'm I'm doing great and appreciate all of you to having me on this episode. Thank you. Absolutely. No, we're, we're very excited. And thank you for reaching out you because you had reached out to us and um, to connect to have this conversation. And so let's, let's start with um, your, your journey. You know, how did you what does your journey look like into being an, an enthusiast and a practitioner of diversity, equity, inclusion and, and belonging work within your organization? How did you get there? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I originally grew up in India and I wanted to be a coder for as long as I can remember. And it's been a very interesting path for me growing in my career, you know, first as just um, just the number of women that existed as coders. You know, there was there was obviously that visibility factor that I I didn't necessarily see a lot of people who looked like me, who had roles that I that I eventually wanted to get to. And um, it's, it's, it's been quite a path of just, um, you know, constantly, very intentionally trying to find mentors for myself who'd help me get to where I wanted to go and who'd guide me sort of course correct as I, as I um, you know, as I, as I tried to take the next steps. And uh, for me, when I, when I reflect back to where I feel I have come, I, I think, you know, I, I try to live my life with gratitude and I'm extremely grateful for all the support that I've had in my own journey. And that has, you know, in, in a huge part propelled me to pass on that goodwill, the same goodwill that I, I got from others. And, uh, you know, my intention is to be there for other folks who need an advocate for their interest. I, you know, I think, I, I hope that I'm a, I'm a logical person and I can, I can articulate the needs of other folks as well. And that's essentially what uh, I'm trying to do with the whole DEI initiatives as well. Um, I, I think where we wanted to dig in to that, because it's so important, right? Like it, it's, it, it's always amazing to hear how people get into this because there's, it's, it, it, I think it takes a lot for, because people know it's hard work. Um, and so your your original focus was on on gender roles, right? Particularly in in like engineering as as engineering leads for for people of color. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. Sorry. 
No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I know it started there, but can you talk about um, how it evolved, right? To, to go beyond just focusing on gender. What um, was that like? Yeah. Um, yeah, so actually it was interesting. I, I started reflecting on this very recently where I realized that, you know, my, my identity as a woman was more upfront and center. Um, just because that was usually the most obvious distinction that I had um, as as a as an engineering leader in the room, um, even back in college, you know, when I when I graduated, I was the only computer engineer, a woman who graduated in my in my in my graduating class. So it was something that 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 sort of stuck out early, and um, I feel the you know over the last couple of years, I think it has become a lot more comfortable in the work setting to talk about your experience as a woman in that field, um, especially in tech. And as I've sort of grown in my career, I've, you know, been the only female leader in a lot of, in a lot of cases. And so I feel that I also tended to focus a lot on the gender side of things. Um, but then I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm also brown, I'm also an immigrant, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm not American. And all, all of these things are not identities that really I also focused on too much um, because one, like they also, it didn't seem normal to be able to talk about these things at work. It didn't necessarily seem that this is an experience other people will view me, you know, as like that, that's not the primary identity other folks are assigning to me. So I, I've, I've felt the need lately to sort of start rethinking, um, you know, the intersectionality of different identities that people have and how they manifest in the problems that they face at work and the sort of accomplishments that they can can have at, at work based on all of these different identities. I, Shalvi, thank you so much. This is Mike. Really appreciate you joining us today. I, uh, I, I love learning new from leaders. Uh, like, give me, if you don't mind sharing with our audience, uh, like what are what are some tactical like roadmap strategy give give like what what are some of the things that you've done as a leader to um you know help because you you've obviously got a personal stake in uh diversity equity and inclusion within your own organization what like give us some uh some tips what have you done to uh make make an impact yeah uh, i'd love to i'd love to share that and um i think for me almost everything when i'm trying to do something the first step is almost always awareness um also as a as as a data person that's just something that comes naturally to me that let's at least figure out what's going on like is is there even a problem um can we try to quantify it in some way and i think that's the part where i focused a lot of efforts um if, if you think about the pipeline of just, you know, my company and its employees, there's, there's a whole funnel of things like who's, who's actually applying to work here. And once they apply, who do we call in for an interview? Who do we actually convert into, um, you know, into, into an offer and actually say like, yes, we want you to come work here. And then once they're here, who do we retain? Who do we promote? Who do we uh, grow out into leadership positions? Who are we accepting referrals from for, for other folks that will come and work here? And so, you know, one of the things that I did was almost like try to map out that entire sort of uh, set of metrics that our company should be looking at 
and and you know this is something that i was able to share with our head of people who was you know who was super sort of responsive to that and i said like here's my opinion on what i think we should be measuring because i think that's the first step like i think just being able to see some of that data is going to give us a little bit of insight on what's what's going on and uh, identify like places where there's problems and uh, within that like within all of this data like we have to start breaking down the dimensions um so as i said like you know my default has always been to look at gender so even when i'm working for a new company like i'm seeing how many women leaders are there how many women uh, are in the room when i'm being interviewed and all of those things but i think it's you know it's time for us to really prioritize um prioritize diversity across the board and i i think there should be this very conscious effort that's made to not just think about gender but also you know think about race think about sexual orientation think about uh disabilities think about education background and 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 all of those dimensions the more you sort of start at least raising your awareness about whether there's a problem that exists um only then can you actually start trying to do something about it um so yeah so that's that's got kind of thing to what i've started with I I love it. Nina, I know you're you're chomping to to get in here, but I just got to say that is fantastic. I love how you broke this down uh very very intentionally um start looking at all the different data components within, you know, from it's it's much more than pipeline. It's much more than interviewing. It's much so there's so much to that and I so appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So yeah, One of the things that I mean I I want to go back to was that kind of intersectionality of identities, right? Now as a I'm, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a woman, but I'm also a child of Indian immigrants and so I I wear multiple identities at any given time. And um and so I was wondering like what what was that like for you to start expanding the the experience of addressing kind of the gender cuz i i had the exact same journey <laughs> like it always starts off with gender and then you know you start to layer in all the other complexities of what does intersectionality mean what does it mean to start advocating for groups that you know fall outside of your own personal identity what was that journey like for you and how did you bring that into into your work discussions Yeah I think um I mean you know again I I I don't think I've found all the answers yet but I'm I'm I am trying to get there I think the things that I spent a lot of time thinking about is that uh, you know what um there are some identities that honestly even from a privacy perspective maybe you don't actually want to have people disclose that like uh, you know people might not be comfortable disclosing their religious identities and i i i don't think we should push for things like that like it's not um we we want to do the best based on the things that we already know are common ways that harm is caused but if people don't want to disclose some aspect of it just so that we make sure our diversity initiatives are are on track like i think i think that's 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 fine we should not push for that so i think i tried to as i sort of like went through that went through that mentally as well the thing that i uh, that i kind of started to focus on was the educational background piece because um as a person who's hired in the tech industry for a really long time that is consistently something that comes up as um um you know as something that people i feel can be a little elitist about that uh, you know what kind of a degree do you have or which school did you go to and you know is it a is it a known brand is it not a known brand 
and in some ways that uh, you know that educational background can actually it, it it can be an indicator of other demographics you know people of color are less likely to be able to go to certain schools or something like that so i i, I and i do feel that it's tied directly to what we are trying to do that when we are interviewing people we want it to be skill based we don't want it to be based on sort of indicators that are not truly demonstrative of how people would perform on the job um so that's i feel like at least one thing that i've sort of focused on that like how do we how do we sort of separate out um things that we think are indicators but they're really just you know furthering the bias and rather shift to a better and a more coherent evaluation of people's skills in in instead and and i and i think that is a push towards more fairness in a pro, in a process which i think is better better for for most people i think one of the interesting things that a lot of our listeners have challenged with because you know we we all have this kind of passion for making institutional change within our companies but not all of us have the the ability to just be on the c suite to make those decisions and you know sometimes we're working in organizations that are just so large but we know that we can make an impact or we want to make at least some type of impact towards this vision of creating a more equitable workforce you know as like a as a manager as a as a person who wants to at least bring some kind of impact on their team like how do you manage to do that when maybe your company hasn't overtly stated a plan of action around that yeah that's a that's a that's a great point because i think um that's a that that's a good thing to have to think about because um you know obviously the company is going to be slower to act on 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 certain things um than you as an individual might be able to at least institute change within your own sort of part of the piece that you own um so i think you know one thing is i mean i i i very consciously try to only work for companies where i know that at least as a as a philosophy or as values like i'm i'm aligned with the leadership team and 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 that is something that i care very deeply about like i i don't think i could work at a company where it's 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 okay if they're slower to act on something but if i feel that they're just going to have a very different reaction to things that i passionately care about like that's probably not the right place for me because i as a you know as someone who represents management like I, i i want to represent my values too and i and i can't defend values that i don't i don't personally share so i think at least at my company i have been uh, very appreciative that um you know i have the freedom to at least do some things within my team and if i can if i can do that if i can create that vision it just becomes that much easier to sort of showcase that hey here's how my team sort of thought of this and um you know here's here's what we prioritized in our own team so you know to continue on that interviewing example i um i sought a lot of feedback from my from from my reports and some of them are you know wonderfully open people who 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 share a lot of that valuable feedback with me and you know they i i asked them like you know what do you think are problems in our in our in our process um and some of them you know gave really great suggestions they you know one uh, one person pointed out that they said even amongst our uh, the interview screens that we do there is this one uh, like there's a bunch of technical screens that we do and then there's this sort of behavioral one and it's only the women who run that behavioral uh, behavioral uh, sort of session and you know that's that's it it sets up a very different uh, example of what what we're trying to showcase and like 
that's just another way that you perpetuate bias. So that was an easy one that we could fix even just within our, our own team that um, we really pushed for everybody to get trained on that session so that it wasn't just the women who were running the behavioral part and, uh, you know, other, other, other men on the team signed up too. And it was, it was, it was sort of an easy way to sort of at least start tackling one piece. But um, since then we've gone on to really like look at our interview process in detail, see like, you know, which questions nudge people a certain way that might, uh, that might bias against a certain demographic or, um, you know, just even discourage people from applying if they look at our job description and they feel that that doesn't really sound like them. I got to, I'm sorry, Ubaldo, I know it's your turn, man, but I am so impressed with Salvi, you just saying, hey, you know, we, we're, this is a, this is a journey and here's, here's something that we learned along our journey and we, we did a course correction. I'm just so, that, that is, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I love Mike is, um, he's our biggest cheerleader, as you can tell. <laughs> he, he uh, and we all, you know, like, you know, everything th that you're saying is, just, it's great because it really, these are great examples, you know, that, that other people who are trying to do the same thing um, uh, can really take back and, 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 and hopefully implement it. that sort of that smaller scale to show, right? Like, because a, a part of it is, well, I, you know, I, I feel like people feel like in, in the, in the, you know, who are doing this work really are, feel like they have to prove it first, prove it out on a smaller scale um, in order to get leadership to, to buy in. And I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I don't know um, if you've seen this at Komodo Health yet or not, but, you know, because of COVID and because of, the, these conversations around racial inequalities and systemic issues, d did you see or have you seen a, a shift? Like we've seen a shift in how leaders are viewing diversity and inclusion training, for example, right? All of a sudden it's a priority. Have you, have you seen that shift since because of these two major events in, just in the span of a few months? Um, yeah, I absolutely have. And I think, again, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful. Like Komodo, I think, has a culture that, uh, I, I, that I feel is a, very, is, a very thoughtful, is a very thoughtful culture. And, uh, you know, just a side story, but one of the reasons I joined Komodo was because, um, you know, it was, it's run by two minority co-founders who've, I think, been very successful in raising, raising funds in this industry. And that, like, that personally, to me, was inspiring. Um, and, and I've seen sort of the, the, the side effect of that, that, uh, you know, when a lot of these racism conversations started, you know, I think our co-founders were very sort of upfront and they came out and they said, hey, this is something that we do care about. Um, but we are at the end of the day a startup. And I think the thing that we suffer from is just time. Um, so they're like, you know, you're all empowered to sort of plan and organize and figure out how we should, how we should do this. Like, you know, if the answer is that we should hire people who can help walk us through certain things, or if there's things that we can do ourselves, if we can find problems that we can chip away at. Um, so like, I think that really motivated the employee base quite a lot because they felt that there is this larger sort of support from senior leadership about prioritizing some of these initiatives. 
Um, but people also had the authority, had the had the empowerment to sort of go out and you know take it in the direction that they want. And when they needed help, the company would sort of support them in 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 those in those in those little missing pieces. And uh, we as a company, like I think I think we did a great job, like you know just kind of even talking about a lot of these things because as as I mentioned earlier, like gender conversations, I think still have become more acceptable at work but i think race is still something we're discussing for the first time at, at least since i've been working like i don't think i've had i don't think i've had conversations about race at work so it's very very fascinating to see that transition and to really feel that energy of uh, you know ho hoping that there's something great that comes out of it you know, one of the, the questions or that we haven't really talked about much in the podcast, I think generally when we think about diversity, equity and inclusion and, and in the industry, we're always thinking about, you know, the people that are working for the company. But uh, we don't necessarily think about what are the products or services we're building and how that impacts marginalized and underrepresented communities. And, and the fact that sometimes the things we build can actually inadvertently cause harm to mm -hmm. marginalized groups. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm super happy to dig into that topic because it's, it's something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately. Um, you know, I've, I've built, analyzed and used enough products to just know that there's no such thing as a harmless product. Like that just, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Um, and, and, you know, I like it. Like, I think, I think we're all starting to become a little more aware of products that have unintended consequences, but I'd almost argue that there are products that have known harmful consequences. And the, the issue is that those known consequences, like we just didn't anticipate how they would, uh, how, those, how those consequences would scale. So either when, you know, we went from whatever, 20,000 users to 2 billion users, like how does that change the volume of harm that's being caused? Um, or just as as we grow as a company, like are we amplifying problems in this in in just you know now earlier it was one way and now it's like these fifteen different ways that are intersecting in this in this very odd manner. Um, so I think for me the problem that I sort of feel is worth um, in in tech especially is something that we should talk about is that um, you know most of these most of these consequences these uh, harmful consequences are almost systemically been ingrained into our products because um, and it's it's usually like it's it's it might be subconscious in a lot of cases but it's because we very much think about that oh how do people uh, like you know if i test it and i don't really see a problem with it and my friends won't have a problem with it i don't need to worry about it too much uh, but i think that's a very very privileged mindset because it is usually very privileged folks who are building out these products and in some ways, they're almost uh, they're ignoring the needs of people who are marginalized, but they're also amplifying the problems that they face. So I think I think it's worth us in tech having a having a very honest discussion about these things and trying to figure out like what can we actually do to minimize such cases. And yeah, that's that's something I think is worth talking about. I agree, and I mean that's one thing we've learned to to, to tie it back to the conversation about racism. Um, and how that conversation has, has become amplified. Um, you know, the, the systemic uh, systems that have been in place to specifically target people of color and not give them the same opportunities through products and services 
services such as insurance or mortgages, you know, or where they can live, right? Like a, yeah. consider a product, you know, a house. Um, and, and so it's, it, it's, it is so overdue to have this conversation because it, that one of the most impactful um, things that, that I became aware of a couple of years ago when speaking to an engineering manager, you know, he made the point that how are we expected to build a product for a diverse group of customers when my whole team are, are white males? Like that's one small perspective. And that's how we're building our whole product based on that one perspective. Yep. How is that going to serve a diverse group of customers? So I think, I think that this is, if anything, this is one of the most critical pieces of the conversation of why diversity is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I agree with you that, you know, even, even, even to that person who highlighted, like, how is my very white male team supposed to build for something? Um, yeah, go hire some people who are not white. Like, you know, that's, that's, I think one, one good place to start with. Um, but I'd, I'd also like push that, you know, we can't actually, uh, you know, I, I, I think the diverse hiring piece is very important, but I don't think that that should be sort of the only excuse like, hey, I didn't think of this because I didn't have anybody who, who would have experienced this. I mean, I think companies, if you, if you think about it, like tech companies actually already have these um, security teams or these ethical hackers or sort of an integrity team that is trying to break their own code. Um, they have QA folks, like they have, they already have these systems in place where people are trying to find vulnerabilities within their product. Except I think for those teams, it's typically a focus of, um, you know, see if someone can hack into my website or see if someone can steal people's data. But I would say that why don't you extend the, those same sort of systems that you already have in place, but really extend them to um, figuring out like, you know, if I was a bad actor, how would I misuse this product? So almost, you know, go back to engineering basics and, and think, think very deeply, like, how do I break my own code? Like, I'm not a bad actor, but like, what if I was, how can I misuse this um, and, and, and that is going to help you find some vulnerabilities that, you know, if you, if, again, if you at least find out about it, like you can, you can try to prioritize fixing it, but um, just sort of relying on an employee to tell you that this might be an issue is, 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 is also sort of just, uh, just a cop out, right? That it doesn't, it doesn't fully address your responsibility as a company to intentionally try to make sure that your product is not going to cause harm. What a fascinating conversation. I uh, honestly, Shelby, I, I hadn't thought of it from that standpoint, but you're, you're saying extend this, uh, like what I'm hearing is you're saying extend the, uh, I, again, the, uh, the security threat kind of test to almost a demographic type threats as well. Is, is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, absolutely. Like switch it out to demographics, switch it out to um, even just, you know, what is the possible way? Like if, if you think about the intended use of your product, like what would be an unintended use of your product? So I think the example that came to my mind is, um, is about LinkedIn. You know, on, on LinkedIn, we are encouraged to sort of keep our profile up to date, put our profile picture, share our, share our sort of achievements. 
Um, and the general theory is that recruiters uh, can access a little extra information, like they can even get access to your resume, which might, which very often has your uh, your home address and your phone number. And um, that's a paid part, like recruiters have to pay for that privilege. But um, so you'd think that because they're paying for something like that, like, you know, I'll pay for something that I actually need. Um, but what if, what if there's a stalker there? Like, what if there's a stalker who's willing to pay that money in order to, you know, go and go and harm people? Like, they can still pay that money. And you're then putting some people in, in a lot of harm's way because people can get access to information that they really did not, like, they wanted to share it with a person who might give them a job, not with a person who will show up at their house and, uh, you know, potentially be a threat to them. And, and, and that's just something like, you know, that's, that's, not, um, that's not something that people hope is how their product will be used. But if your product is actually being used like that, even if there's one case, like how do you, how do you set up a situation so that people can, one, prevent this from happening in the first place, but also have a backup plan to, you know, re-anchor your product if, if situations like these show up. Elvia, I think you've given us so much great stuff to think about, both in terms of what are the processes that we can put in place uh, in our companies, but also into our teams, and just really help us self-reflect a little bit more on, on what our products are doing that could potentially cause harm in ways that we don't know. And I just, I think this has been an amazing conversation. I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank yes. you having me i really enjoyed the conversation thank you shall we this is uh i i nina ubaldo i don't rem this is such a unique kind of uh um uh look at this i i really that's i i so shall we you you are why we do what we do so thank you for uh um uh, just thank you for talking with us today yeah thanks again i appreciate you all prioritizing my voice and i appreciate all the awesome work that you all do and thank you to all our listeners and take care and we'll catch you all next time. Bye everybody. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to the choose inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple podcasts and Spotify, and you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, choose and contact us on Twitter at choose inclusion.